Unser heutiger Werbepartner ist die Firma Blackboard, gegründet von Christoph Magnussen, euch allen bekannt. Blackboards Kunden sind Unternehmen, welche die Zusammenarbeit und Kommunikation intern verbessern wollen, um produktiver sowie flexibler zu arbeiten. Blackboard ist darauf spezialisiert, Potenziale für die bestmögliche Art der Zusammenarbeit zu identifizieren und dann passende Maßnahmen sowie Technologien zu empfehlen. Dabei begleitet Blackboard den On the Way to New Work mit Hilfe von agilen Methoden in den Bereichen Zusammenarbeit, Team Collaboration, Fähigkeiten der Mitarbeiter, Cloud Software, Change Management, New Work, Kultur, Workplace Design, Cloud Security, Policies als auch Infrastruktur. Am Anfang steht immer die Analyse, dann werden konkrete Empfehlungen erarbeitet, implementiert und auch Trainings angeboten und selber durchgeführt. Und Blackboard hilft auch Kunden, die bereits auf die Cloud umgestellt haben, zum Beispiel Office 365 oder G Suite eingeführt haben, bei denen es aber noch nicht funktioniert, soll es geben. Und das geht bei Firmen mit 50 Mitarbeitern, aber auch Mittelstand, größerer Mittelstand bis hin zu einem DAX-Unternehmen, was auch schon bei Blackboard auf der Kundenliste ist. Für die Hörer unseres Podcasts gibt es ein besonderes Angebot, den 15-Minuten-Call. Ähm, dort könnt ihr erste Einschätzung dafür bekommen, was für euch der richtige Weg ist und ob vielleicht Blackboard der richtige Partner ist. Findet ihr unter www.blackboard.com slash 15 Minuten, die 15 als Zahl geschrieben. Ich als Happy Client kann euch Blackboard wirklich wärmstens empfehlen. Welcome to the On the Way to New Work podcast from New York with Michael Trautmann and Christoph Magnussen. And we are here with Rashid, Design Director with WeWork. So thanks for having us in New York. You're actually from Amsterdam. Yeah, and originally not from Amsterdam, but yeah, I'm here. I'm here. Yeah, exactly. I live in Amsterdam. I work in London and I'm here uh, this week. So that's great. You, yeah. you live in Amsterdam, yeah. you work in London yes. and you meet us in New York. That's new work style. Yeah. And for me, it was a big surprise that we are not in a WeWork co-working space. We are WeWork headquarters, which is fascinating for us. Yeah, we Thanks. just we just arrived, and it's a it's a super nice open space with all the different areas that you can imagine to work on. We will talk about that. We sit here in a room with a bunch of other guys, so uh, if you hear background noise, that's perfectly fine with this podcast. So, what we always start with is a little bit of your personal background and what your role is at WeWork to like put that in perspective. I think most of the people listening know what WeWork is. Just to give one sentence, it's actually the new way of co-working and, and a very, very big driver for how work is changing. We use that at Backboard our, on our own and Michael, you use it for your agency as well. So we're aware with that. That's what WeWork does. But tell us a bit about you. Yeah, so um, so I'm uh, a design director for uh, for WeWork. Uh, prior to to joining WeWork, uh, so I've started my career in the construction and design industry. That is now some 18 years ago. Uh, interestingly enough, I uh, I came into this career in a, in an interesting way. I I have a, a love for music and a love for math and. The combination of these two meant acoustics, Bauphysica. Uh, so I came into wow. this world through that. And I started working here in New York City in 2000, uh, doing acoustic design and audiovisual design and slowly morphed into technology uh, as well. Um, as you can imagine, they're, they're quite married yeah. in, in terms of, in terms of the, the built environment. And uh, that took me to, to Dubai at some point um, and started um, an office in Dubai. Uh, so some of the construction boom there, then back to New York. And I joined a large engineering firm called Arup, uh, where I worked for the past, for some 11 years, uh, basically. And that's when I ended up in Amsterdam. And what happened in, in sort of this, uh, this, this journey is, Uh, the more years I have under my belt, the more involved I get with the built environment. Um, and so it, it, what started as acoustics, both physica and, and audiovisual consulting became technology, then became uh, uh, climate control within the built environment. 
And uh, in a way, that's sort of the perfect way to come to WeWork because uh, my interest and where my, my, uh, my passion is, is the designing space around, around people as opposed to um, just putting together a building as a property and sort of passing it on. So the, the, the beginnings, the acoustics, is you have, to, you have to realize that there's the science, but there's also the way people feel and behave in a space. And so I think this is extremely relevant. And this is why I've, I've ended up where I am now is because this, of this interest in designing around people and what people need in a space. Well, I remember we met via LinkedIn, actually. Uh, we talked about some of the videos um, about new work and um, also the point that I always say, the office is a tool, one of the tools to communicate, to collaborate in. And entering here, and it's much more, I know your opinion, but we will dive into that. But entering here, I was like, okay, I could use any corner here for different things like there is a bar there's you have your own podcast station uh, there's open space there's closed space there's it's everything. a radio station radio it's not station. just okay, okay it's a radio <laughs> station so it's even cooler how how do people at we work like do do you just start at we work and you know like how to do that when to come to the office when not to come to the office like how do they use the space as this tool to collaborate yeah, so I mean, it's interesting. It's I think we we talked, you know, as we were walking through here. I, I mentioned something which I I've often thought about as one of the the most important things when designing an office is the diversity of spaces that you make available for people. Uh, you know, people like at the end of the day, we like being together. We like working with each other. But every once in a while, you need the half an hour a day where you want to go somewhere and you know you kind of isolate yourself, sit in a quiet space, and and work. Uh, there are times in the day where you want to be around your team, when you want to be interacting, where you want to be feeling that you are part of a community, feeling that you're part of a bigger thing, and by intruding all of these different spaces are available for you to use. I think that's really what has made people be here and to sort of use this space because you have the whole range of, of spaces available for you to use. So, you, you know, you come and, and you choose and you use it as, as, as it suits you as a human being in that particular moment. How did your experience, and you said you love to design space around people, how did your experience bring you like, to where you are and what changed over the years? So, um, you know, without, without, without getting, getting extremely technical, but one of the things that um, personally drove me crazy in the, the built, in the built environment is having come through acoustics and through biophysica, um, building physics, into this, this, this industry is everything is very prescriptive. So when you're designing a building in Germany or a building in Amsterdam, as an acoustician, you have to tick a couple of boxes and it's all fine. But at the end of the day, um, how do you convince a client that uh, this number means that his staff are gonna be happy in a space? Are they? I mean, you know, and mm -hmm. it's, it, you start to ask these questions. Um, it's very prescriptive, but there's a human element in it that was not necessarily being addressed by the industry because the industry is all about build, 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 build bigger, big, better, you know, cut costs, this and that and the other. So it's, it's kind of from there um, I, I came to care about this and, and think of ways of communicating outside of the pure number side of things. You know, that's, that's the basic, that's, that's, you know, that's the science, that's the, the hard engineering part. But how do you communicate the soft part of this and how do you get more and more interested? How do you get people more and more interested to understand that? That's kind of what got me interested in that in the first place. So we started at, you know, at the time, we started developing ways to communicate um, soft engineering for the lack of a better term. How do you, you know, lighting mm -hmm. design? How do, how do you communicate that to a client that actually that is, is important? It's not only about the lux level. <laughs> You yeah, know, it's about mm -hmm. the quality of light. It's about how far away you are from the window and, and all of that. 
and slowly that, like I said, I, you know, I've, I've been fortunate enough to have worked at, at, uh, at a couple of other firms before uh, coming here, which sort of when I've arrived here, I kind of can put it all together with the tools that are available here and the fact that we are the, we find properties, we design properties, we build properties, we operate them. So being able to kind of close that loop and finally be able to, uh, to deliver on, on, on what I, yeah, what I care about. Yeah, when we talked first uh, without the microphone, you, you, you described this very solid value chain uh, that WeWork operates and, and said, well, if you're sitting with a guy who then operates a place and you are the guy who chews the carpet, which is yeah. shitty, which does not look good or smells yeah. or whatever, or it's twice as expensive to clean, then you get this, this constant feedback loop. Oh, it's not, That's right. Yeah. And, and this helped you really to... to Exactly. Progress, I mean, yeah. to kind of sort of tie tie uh, Christoph's question here is, uh, you know, when when I when I in my previous uh, uh, my previous life, uh, I would you know I would look after uh, a part of the design, and you know you would you would try to convey it to clients, to architects, to engineers. You would sort of go around and do it and do it and redo it, um, and then at some point you hand over. And when you hand over, you kind of lose a bit of control. Here, the beauty of it is we're never, I'm never handing over, uh, you know, because the person that's going to be taking care of that building is a colleague of mine. The member that sat in that space, if he or she has a complaint or has something that they don't like about the space, that feedback is coming back to me and to my team to make sure that we, one, fix it, to we don't do it again <laughs> in the next building because we're, we're doing all of this. Um, the, the industry as an industry, the construction industry is very fragmented. So, you know, you have the client, you have the real estate developer, the real estate uh, company, then you have the, the, the design team, then you have the construction team. Then at some point, the client gets handed a building. In, in our case, we have this vertical integration essentially, which enables us to to learn from these experiences. And you 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 started with co-working spaces, which were, I would say, for single operating people and small companies. But you now develop the the whole system uh, into yeah into something much broader or bigger that you even operate or find, build, design, build, and then operate for bigger companies as well. Maybe you can explain a little bit. About That's this. right. Yeah. yeah. So I think we're, um, uh, you know, large, uh, uh, a large percentage of our members now are, are enterprise uh, clients um, who are uh, very interested in uh, basically leveraging all of this knowledge that we've built over the last seven, eight years in designing these spaces and operating them. And they're also really keen on leveraging this community uh, experience that we that we bring to a space, um, and the the way we connect people, the way we humanize uh, a, a, an office environment. Um, so they are also really keen on on coming to us and trying to take and leverage that experience that we have, the the data collection that we have essentially from all of these offices that we've built. This uh, you know what works, what doesn't work. Uh, to try and kind of bring it to to big corporations, and and that indeed is is now uh, a large percentage of our members. What are what are the like very hands-on important things that developed throughout the last years? Where you say that's a big change in terms of office design, office space design, because many companies look into that, and sometimes I have the feeling they start with, let's say there is a managing director having a strong opinion on certain things. It's like having strong opinion about a good website, which is also then there's something more behind brand and a website and design. So what are things that you can share and say, these things changed because work is more digital these days, work is much more collaborative these days. What are elements that you can see in workspace design? So um, um, basically, you know, uh, we touched a little bit on this. I think the bigger, the 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 biggest, uh, the biggest one for me is uh, this idea of offering uh, uh, 
a range of spaces and, and capturing all of these spaces in one physical location is probably the most important thing from my point of view. Uh, you know, you had, uh, I remember, I remember in 2000 when I first started working in the city, um, we were sort of on the cusp of going away from private offices, but we were still doing a lot of private offices at the time. And all of a sudden it kind of swung into open plan. Everything has to be open plan. This is the, you know, so it swung the other way. And I think now we're kind of in, in this place where we have now the experience of one, we have the experience of the other, and we're starting to realize that actually it's, it's some combination of all of these different elements. That's one. Two, um, we're, the, the, the impact that technology has had, um, in, in, in my opinion also, is actually uh, um, uh, people are more connected, but, are, but, but in places like the UK, there's a lonely, loneliness minister now because people are more isolated as well. So again, so you have in, in the, the WeWork space in, in London, you have a loneliness minister. No, no, no. Oh. This is this is the United Kingdom oh, okay. has a loneliness minister okay. now to try and and, and address okay. this this fact of, of life. Never heard in, of this. Uh, wow. in, yeah. in, so so to kind of bring it mm -hmm. all back together, the the biggest change is offering this diverse uh, uh, diverse range of spaces um, and bringing community into it making sure that there's there's a there's there are places where people can can meet where happy accidents can happen where uh, uh, people can have a coffee can have a beer uh, you know sit around the table be loud be quiet go into a space where they can feel part of a so all of all of this and having a community team that is constantly engaging people putting on events uh, you know, so again, kind of bringing community back into the office space. I think uh, meeting WeWork in one of your spaces for the first time was the first thing I realized uh, compared to other co-working spaces is this community aspect, no? that yeah. you have, uh, there's a band playing, there is a uh, little party here, there is training, there is, you offer different services people can use. Uh, so was this from the very beginning that you uh, that your founder said well we work has to be a community it's very much so it's been in our dna from the beginning yeah for sure um it's been in our dna and it's now uh, um uh, you know it's 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 a it's a bit of a hospitality thing right because we again we we miss that in 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 today's world because we again technology has uh, uh, by itself taken us to, to a place where uh, maybe now more so than ever, we need to kind of make sure that there's human connection and we're, we're constantly creating physical space where this can happen and community people are there to facilitate that, to, to ensure that that is indeed happening. And, and uh, did you, uh, when you start the company and over the, over the years, is it a trial and error that you say, well, we built the first place, we learned, we optimize it, or is it, do you, But do you do research or do you look at research as well? So like, let's say the, the, the Building 20 case study from MIT or, or other things, Harvard studies, which, which uh, give some insights into it. How, how did you do We it? leverage a lot of research, yeah. uh, existing research, as well as now we, we have our own in-house research that we, uh, we look at, we constantly undertake. Uh, studies. We look at our own space. We uh, talk to our members regularly. We survey our members regularly. Uh, so indeed, uh, it's, it's um, at this point, it's uh, you know, it's it's very much embedded in our way of working. I mean, you just mentioned Building 20. I don't know that if everyone is aware of what that was, because... Uh, yeah, building 20, uh, what, maybe you can tell the story. <laughs> We can try to yeah, tell. Yeah. Yeah. Building 20 was... <laughs> was built at the MIT during war to, to give space to, to engineers uh, producing rockets and stuff for the war. And after the war, it was empty, uh, but MIT was growing very, very fast, and they used this space as a space for overcapacity. And what they found out, in the beginning, it was an ugly building. Nobody wanted to work there. 
But over time, they allowed the people to create their spaces, to tear down walls, to to get sofas in it. Uh, and then because there were so many um, people from different departments, uh, chairs from the university, um, it got, yeah, it was the, the most creative place at MIT. Uh, many things like the Bose Corporation started there, the hacker community started there, and uh, other crazy things were invented there. And uh, it doesn't exist anymore, but it's so, uh, yeah, a, mas a master case of, of modern uh, Building philosophy for for uh, for uh, office space. This more open planned spaces yeah, that you were talking yeah, about. Yeah. But uh, and people, this coincidentally, uh, they, they 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 can sit together. Mm. There's another study uh, from Harvard, which is a little younger, where they found out they 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 gave uh, smartphones to all the people and um, and they they tracked their their ways through the building. They compared it to their their personal um, time timings and and the the, the plans for for uh, conference rooms, mm -hmm. and found out uh, the the more people meet without uh, a conference room, let's say outside uh, on a sofa, uh, and the and uh, if if companies allow this, uh, then uh, the company is more the people are more healthy, more lucky, more productive. Uh, and when we started to, to plan our office in Hamburg for 200 people, we had a consultant said, okay, if you want a place like this, you have to have uh, 600 possibilities to sit. 600 sits for 200 people. I said, what? Yeah, because people need time to work, not deep work to do it, concentrate in a small room without any noise. You need places where they can collaborate and so on, and then you you have you end up with 600 chairs or places to sit for 200 people. Yeah, so yeah. I mean that that's that's interesting. I I would uh, I, I would I would maybe challenge that a bit. I I think hopefully <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't think you're gonna end up. I mean again the 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 um I think the 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 important thing is is uh, is creating this diversity. Uh, but not necessarily at the expense of, you know, you're you're not you're not basically saying everybody has ten options at any given point, right? And that's and I think that's the you know that's the important thing is that we're we're constantly looking at some of these decisions that that we make in terms of you know what are the ratios of say conference rooms versus uh, you know versus an open plan environment versus a nice big communal space on and so forth. And, uh, uh, you know, trying to see, look at the utilization rates and it changes, you know, it changes from building to building, it changes from culture to culture, you know, whether we're doing Germany, or China, or London, you know, there are nuances that change. And I think that's also the, the you know, the, the benefit of essentially having this database now that is all of these buildings around the world and being able to learn from that. Um, because again, what you'll find out that what works for you uh, is not necessarily going to work for me at the same time. So you know, then then that starts to be okay not to have every space replicated. Maybe I, I start with, or uh, well, give one insight. When we came to to New York, a very small team wanted to start our agency here, five people, and we started to look for office space. Uh, we were really shocked. Uh, what you have to pay for very very small and I don't I don't say ugly but I mean ugly uh, <laughs> rooms and then then you come to your space and uh, see what you can get for the same amount of money and you said well when we came I think you had 17 spaces yeah. and then you told me you have 45 no, in Manhattan or in New York think, yeah. what do you think yeah. is it yeah, like, like yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I said well th th is there probably room for 100 because uh, the, the whole system is somehow yeah. ill and you uh you, yeah you you disrupted yeah. office space industry yeah. and I, I from the very first contact here in new york i could see well this 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 is going to be a huge business yeah yeah how, i would be interested in your opinion on on how technology and space again like comes together because like one thing that i see continuously in all the offices and even if they have open plans, I didn't see it with you guys specifically, but many others have like long desks and then there are screens. We all have screens. So a lot of work is happening in front of a screen. And I just recently started like the last 12 weeks or so just using my smartphone 
for all the work and I use from time to time a screen. So I kind of use technology in a way we have different spaces here. Like sometimes I need a big screen, like I need a meeting room, or not, sometimes I collaborate, but the device I carry with me, the only device I carry with me is my smartphone. So is there something you see in the future that that you can also like share or thoughts or ideas where you say, well, you know what, maybe also the technology moves with the people and we don't have these long rows with screens, black screens in, in the end. Because that's the one common thing every office has right now. And I'm like, this feels old to me. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't, it's, it's hard to predict that, to be honest. And uh, I think particularly from a design point of view, um, so I can I can speak a lot to the design team and the way the way we work. We still, um, you know, we still need the big screens for mm. doing drawings and yeah. for doing specifications and for running these big models that we run uh, in order to do our calculations and what have you. So I think at least for the time being, I think we're still going to be relying heavily on having those. But what what's happened? You know, this is even. You know, even for our design team, for people like myself, is uh, I no longer, you know, I can, I'm no longer tied to a, to, to a spot. So yes, I do need the screen, but the screen is available in New York. It's available there. Uh, every once in a while, I may not find one because, you know, but that's okay as well. You know, you kind of learn to work around that um, because the chances are is most of the time you'll find that. So at least I could say that for our, um, you know, for, for our discipline. So, you know, I am trying my best to basically do what you're doing essentially is to kind of try and disconnect myself now from having to carry a big laptop mm. everywhere I go. Um, and try to work from a, from a mobile, but again, still this, you know, every once in a while you have to view a set of drawings or you have to sign off something. So it's still very hard. And I think the industry as an industry is probably going to still have that for quite some time because then we're, I mean, we're getting too technical in the sense that different, different disciplines still need, um, yeah. Or maybe at a at a different uh, at a different level in the, in sort just, of the cycle. Uh, right? and, and I saw a completely different picture here at your office because when you enter, maybe we can share some impressions later. I don't know to to give an impression because even if there is a new design office from a company, most of the people still sit at the screen. They don't utilize the spaces, so it feels like that part of your culture is that people really utilize yeah. the spaces. Yeah. And this is a people thing. That's not a thing you provided but somehow your people either you choose the right people or you you taught them how to to use that is there other rules is there a certain onboarding or like how yeah so i i would say i would say it's probably the um it's the um it, it's the lack of rules and i don't mean that in sort of a it's not an anarchy <laughs> in the sense, but it's it's the lack of this. Oh, you know, this is you know, this is Rashid's desk, or mm. this is that, or this is this, right? So we do that in our onboarding, but we're not basically telling people to work a certain way. We're basically providing people with the tools that they need to get their work done, and there's this level of trust uh, that is is embedded in that equation that you know we trust people. Um, are going to do the best of their ability. We have our community to connect them, and uh, we just basically set them free in a way to set whatever, do whatever, uh, and ultimately, uh, you know, get get the best work done. And and I think that's, I think that's what it is. I I think it's the lack of those rules essentially that are um, maybe still very much present in a lot of corporations that you know that's so your you desk that's your mm -hmm. team that's your this so you inspire them to uh, use all what you have no? absolutely mm -hmm. yeah yeah what what how would you describe the we work culture um it's a um that's a it's a good question i uh it's it's very um um it, we're very uh, inspiring uh, a group of people, very energetic, uh, really keen on connecting with each other. Community is is extremely strong, and that's 
not only in terms of you know the community uh, the community spaces that we have and our community team, but also people that join uh, uh, join us and come into here. They they come with this idea that they want to do things differently uh, because it is possible. Um, because uh, because we can challenge the, st the the status quo. We're tenacious in 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 sort of our approach to. Uh, to, to doing things. If it can be done better, then why isn't it? So, uh, and it, it kind of rubs off. We, we, you know, it rubs off people. Uh, we feel we we feel that way, and we all sort of have that common, uh, common, common view. So, yeah, that's it in a, in in a nutshell, I guess. It sounds attractive. <laughs> there is also a WeWork product called We Live that yeah. is still quite new. I think like last year, two years yeah. ago, or something. We saw that. I've never been there, I have to say, but this is also like part of the idea. Um, yeah. How did that evolve? Like, and what so, is it for? And people? how does it work? <laughs> how yeah. does it work? <laughs> so oh, it doesn't work. Uh, it, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, it basically, again, it, it came from this recognition that um, um, that there's you know there's an there's an enormous amount of energy with what we're doing here at WeWork that revolves around community and around connection. And we wanted to basically bring that to the built environment. Uh, we, you know, you, you often walk into a building and one of, the, one of the most interesting things about walking into a building that I don't think anybody really sort of thinks about at large is that you, you're in New York City, let's say, the moment you get to the door of your building, the city stops. And then you go through this sort of, let's say, let's call it dark space for, for the lack of a better term, until you get to your apartment, right? And then you enter your apartment and now that's your space. That area in between is where community should be happening, is where people should be making connections. But we, but we, we don't, you know, we haven't been sort of capturing that. And as more and more people move into cities and more and more people are seeking this connection, seeking to be part of a community, wanting to, 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 to have an impact, wanting to, to belong in a sense to, to something bigger, um, that's kind of where the idea came from really, is kind of taking everything that we've learned from WeWork and, and trying to, to, to put that into, into a living uh, So you product. have shared space in, in these apartments or like how do they look? Like it's very much um, um, basically uh, very well designed um, apartments that provide you with uh, you know with the with the necessities at sort of a highest you know, the the necessities are very very well designed, but then there's a community and there's a neighborhood that is designed within within the building that use engages the floors. you yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. for you know communal kitchen let's say uh, mm -hmm. let's say you know uh, as you will see if you were to visit the one uh, 110 wall street here uh, you know new york city for everybody that is, if anyone has lived in new york city or in the us in general laundry seems to be the thing that is usually tucked in a basement somewhere in a building i know we don't have that in europe it's usually within the apartments but here basically on 110 wall we lifted that from the basement to the eighth floor and we made it into a community space and oh, now people mm. You know, you'll go there and you'll find yourself sat exactly like we're sat now. There'll be somebody with a laptop. There'll be someone, you know, playing pool, and we're all doing laundry. <laughs> yeah, actually, it's, it's so nice again, idea, like bringing to people together. Anyways. Yeah, yeah. Nice idea. Okay, and good. is it uh, in terms of? I mean, I, I, my 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 thought was that okay, it, it's so expensive to live in New York. Um, that it's a little bit more easy to find a place. It's in, I will not use the term cheaper, but is it more fair? Because um, you can, let's say, if you are three people, you can share a place. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. I mean, and that's part of the yeah. that's part of the equation is yeah. that it is, uh, um, you know, it's it's uh, what you get um, is is something of value to you as a as a human being. You get you get a connection. You get to you get to come to space to a space where you don't have to feel like uh, living out of a suitcase, and and that is true for somebody who lives there for two years, and also somebody like myself. I you know I come in here from from uh, Amsterdam or London for a week, 
um, if I am lucky enough to find the space, this time I couldn't. <laughs> if I'm lucky enough but, to find uh, it, the space, it starts with there, a week. It starts yeah, with yeah. Uh, it starts actually with even less than a week, you know. Okay. But mm -hmm. but essentially, you come in. I come in and I check in, and immediately as as, as I check in. You know, I go to the communal kitchen. There are people there that know each other. You feel like you're mm -hmm. kind of being plugged into something. As Do you have to be to member to at WeWork or member at WeLive? No. no, no membership is needed. So no. just okay. No. Yeah, we check this next time. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> I want to learn about that. Yeah. So uh, you touch a little bit on the cultural differences of workspace, and um, I just thought about Berlin, New York. And it's already more open-minded here. Like, I see more people use, utilizing the space here. Um, and sometimes in Germany, in the WeWorks, um, I see people sitting at their desk and doing the work and not getting closer to the community. What, what are other differences that you see and how do you design around that? Like, stuff that is obvious to you, but maybe not to other mm. people. So you, you learn as well from spaces and from experiences, right? So in some markets, for example, you find that having, um, having large conference rooms is very important. And having more conference rooms is, is important because in certain cultures, um, you know, uh, uh, any meeting and maybe even every meeting means that there has to be 10, 15 people present. Mm -hmm. In some other cultures, it's, you know, usually a one-on-one. -on -one. It's a quick casual thing. It's not this sort of formal. Okay. And, and it's those little nuances that, that you know, you get to, uh, yeah, you get to, to, to kind of experience and then change. And then again, it's the beauty of kind of being able to, being op an operator of these spaces is you realize very quickly, well, nobody is using that conference room. Let's say, and I'm giving an example now, but let's say, you know, we have a 20-person conference room in Amsterdam. Very quickly, you realize nobody is booking it. Or even when they're booking it, there's only two people in it. So you come in and, and you change it and you learn that, okay, well, maybe the Dutch market doesn't need to have, you know, and, and it's, it's that, I think, uh, yeah. I, I like that. I like that <laughs> thought. What could companies do that are maybe smaller um, and have a space on their own and like do simple stuff, um, look into design, um, smart hacks, where you would say it doesn't need to cost a lot? Because maybe some people are overwhelmed and say like, okay, we don't have the budget, so we don't do it. Um, I think, you know, just again, realizing how for me, realizing how important community is within an office environment and maybe give, you know, I would say give give people the freedom to kind of disconnect from a desk. Don't assign mm -hmm, desks. Mm -hmm. Allow people to sort of be free to sit wherever they want. Give, you know, try and try and rely more on um, on on that on laptops and and you know I know I said earlier for us for the design from a design point of view you know I still need the screen but not everyone needs a screen so you know maybe don't you know maybe don't don't do that you know don't don't give I, I know we still a lot of companies still give desk phones you know you know move away from that free people from cable um, you know you don't I mean quite frankly you don't even need to have a a hardwired internet connection anymore, but a lot of companies still spend an obscene amount of money putting those in. So, you know, just and rely on wireless, like phones. free. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the moment you start to think about these things and, and kind of recapture some of your capital um, investment, then you invest it in having good community spaces and, and maybe having one or two people that are, their job is, is to, to try and connect and, and to help and to, so I think those are probably the, the, the high level hacks that I would say. So now you, you and your colleagues, you, you are experts in office design, but the other part, which Christoph, it's Christoph's business as well, is using technology. So it would be a very interesting uh, for us to know what, what kind of tools are you using? Are you in the cloud? Are you using Slack? Uh, what are the tools that you, you can need? Can I make for? a bet? Can I make a I, I, yeah, make, can. I make <laughs> a one, yes. so I would say um, you're the typical company using G Suite for the mails and definitely Slack for um, open space communication. Mm -hmm. These are the two 100% bets. 
Yeah. <laughs> you, you guessed right. Yeah, absolutely. And um, any, anything around it or are certain rules in that? Like, is it transparent? Is it very close? Like, it's. I would say it's very transparent. You know, it's. Uh, um, it's fairly transparent. Everything is indeed, you know, everything uh, is in the cloud. From a design point of view, sometimes we're not, uh, um, you know, maybe we're not 100% in the cloud, uh, just by virtue of, you know, the size of the files sometimes yeah. and, and all of that. But we really try very hard, actually. So, we, you know, we, ha we, we, we put in a, a, a lot of effort in trying to make sure that we're only doing things locally for when we absolutely have to. Uh, but otherwise, it's fairly, um, fairly open, fairly straightforward, uh, fairly advanced. You know, we we we're, we're, you know, I wouldn't say constantly, but we are almost always engaging with new software, with new tools, trying them out. Um, and uh, uh, the, the what what at least I tell people that I work with is uh, particular new new hires is. Um, there's a there's a there's an entrepreneurial sense, which is I mean coming back to the culture question earlier, uh, in that you you know if if you know of something that will make your life better, make you produce better, make you more efficient at work or whatever, get on with it, go get it, mm -hmm. start using it, and you know maybe before you know it, all 700 of us designers in house will like. But we'll start using it. How do you organize your team personally? Because Amsterdam, London, New York, that's a lot of spaces, very different, and you still need to interact with the physical space. Yeah. So what are your work hacks, routines, methods, tricks? Yeah, so I'm a, I'm a creature of habit, I would say. <laughs> I, I, uh, so I, I, I try to keep to the best of my ability is a very rigid schedule and allow for you know some flexibility within that but um so i'm in i'm in london monday tuesday wednesday of every week and usually thursday and friday i'm in amsterdam uh, the majority of my team sits in london uh, but i i work with people in amsterdam i work with people here and uh, and with people in uh, um, in london i think the key is um, building a certain rapport with people, having, making sure that everyone around you understands that um, your schedule and and agree on a certain way of communication. Develop the, uh, you know, develop a protocol. Essentially, the you know how to. <laughs> what is your protocol, for example? <laughs> like other things, rules in your team that you apply or agreed on? So I am I'm a big fan. This you know the, the, this. In today's day and age, I'm a big fan of simple, straightforward communication. Um, I don't necessarily like um, big email chains. I don't like the sort of the constant responses to email. Um, I am known for getting up on my desk and walking to a certain person and saying, why are we emailing about this? Mm -hmm. um, why aren't we talking about it? Um, or you know, or you have a question. You just sent an email to the entire team. Stand up and scream your question. Um, so I'm a bit of a stickler when it comes mm -hmm. to that. I really like uh, straightforward, quick communication. Um, that's probably one of the most. Uh, I like. I like generally people to be, um, to have. You know, to have. When when you come with a question you know, have sort of three bullets down on a piece of paper so that we can immediately kind of hone in, if it's possible, right? Like yeah. sometimes it's not. Sometimes you need to sit down and kind mm. of contemplate. But when we are talking to, to each other about a specific problem, you know, if you cannot describe your, your, your question or the problem or the solution or whatever it is in like three very high-level bullets, then then maybe this is not the right time to mm. talk. Maybe we need to kind of contemplate it a bit on our own, and then we will try to do it right. So there are these things that I have on my <laughs> on my how to. Mm -hmm. um, don't book uh, uh, being in Amsterdam and on a Thursday and having meetings in London, let's say via Zoom or or whatever tool there is. Uh, make sure that the technology works before the call. 
if you've never used it before, get in the meeting room, mm. use it. I do the same thing still. Um, I test out my 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 camera when I'm working from home. I like make sure I have the right background, and you know I'm not True. like. I remember you know, that right? when we had the call. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, it's just mm. these little things that I think are maybe insignificant, but in the grand scheme of things, they're mm. extremely important when you're uh, when you're when you're working remotely and you're trying mm. to like capitalize on every minute of your day. Do you have a good meeting culture at, at WeWork? So some some rules how how you do meetings um, or is I th I would say it varies to be honest from person to person. Um, in general, a lot of I would say many of our meetings are like this um, in terms of uh, you know we we're more interest we're interested in the ideas and the outcome more than anything else. So I wouldn't say that uh, we have a certain way of doing things. There, there are people that do it. You know, each person does it differently. I personally like to have an idea why we're sat. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. I, I just I don't like it. It drives me crazy when there's a meeting that I'm not entirely sure why I'm invited to. One of the um, I'm just looking at our time and I'm again seeing how fast it flew by. But um, um, what we didn't ask so far, and I think it's very important. Um, what is your source of inspiration? Like, where do you get inspiration from? Because, I mean, for your job, it's vital, I guess. I, so personally, um, I, f I have, I, I, I need to move. I, I, I can't, I can't sort of sit still, I would say. So like being in New York this week or being in Amsterdam or being in, um, I need to, I need to keep moving and I'm very protective of that. Um, and that is, uh, um, it, it, yeah, I'm very protective of, my, of, of sort of these personal slots of, of time, times of my day, whether it's for reading, whether it's for running, whether it's for meditating and like, and, and, and it, I need to keep moving. And I find that that's really, really important for my, just for my general health, let alone sort of the inspiration side of it. And through that, obviously, the interaction with people is, it's amazing. You know, I just interviewed a number of people last week in London and just, you know, it's amazing when you yeah. like sit down That's and why we like, love podcasts. So yeah. because we have the chance <laughs> like you just yeah, talk true. to people, my goodness, yeah. you know, it, you, you realize, you realize how much potential there mm -hmm. is. You sent me some very good book recommendations in one of the uh, emails. Thanks for that. And I think it would be a good idea to share some of this because um, there are people always interested in, okay, stuff to read. And uh, I would be curious if you have your top five yeah. for your best books <laughs> that we should yeah. read. Yeah, so, so absolutely. And I, I'm not ashamed about that. I will, <laughs> I will always <laughs> recommend. Um, so like for me personally, I would say um, I would start with my absolutely top two, um, The Power of Habit mm -hmm. um, and uh, Essentialism. Essentialism? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, those two books have had such an impact on, on me personally. And uh, I, yeah, this, uh, you know, the, the importance of, of habits and, and habit forming and habit breaking as well. And so, so tough. Yeah. Exactly. And it's, uh, you know, It's it's amazing. I, I find you know that's the like the, the top of my list, um, and then um, I'd say Signal to Noise is a really good book um, to read, especially in today's day and age where you're constantly bombarded with information. Mm. Is being able to sort of decipher the signal from the noise is is quite a uh, quite an important uh, an important uh, uh, skill. To, to develop and to to uh, to, to to have. Um, let's see. Um, there's a um, there's a book called Play It Again. The name of the author now escapes me. He used to be the ex-editor of the Guardian. And I love that because that book um, basically describes. Um, you know, goes through uh, the, the you know the politics of the time and, and all of that stuff. But but the underlying message is in that book that you know this gentleman in the middle of uh, a massive political wave and like worldly disorder and what have you, and he's the editor of the Guardian, 
he sets himself a target of learning to play Chopin, uh, Prelude, um, Prelude One, I think. But one of one of the hardest preludes of Chopin. It's a beautiful piece, and it's it's absolutely insane to try and play it. And he sets himself this target in like what proved to be one of the most exciting years from a news point of view. But, but did he start the instrument? No, from no, he, he, had, he had played some 20 years okay. ago. Mm -hmm. And he sets himself this target and, and it basically became his thing to kind of every day in the morning or somewhere during his day to carve out about seven, ten minutes, whatever he could get mm. in order to put on a concert to his friends at the end of the year. And I love that idea. In, in essence, nobody is mm. that busy. Yeah, right like yeah. you know you know and i remember when i read it like okay if i complain about my schedule you know yeah this guy is running a newspaper and he has a hostage situation somewhere and like you know and and he still manages to get up in the morning and play you know a few notes of music like it very so, nice um, that we that we come to music um we're sitting here in a room with instruments there's a right. piano <laughs> fender stratocaster some amplifiers You, st you started with that you you and I like this a lot that your combination out of mathematics and music lets you into your business. Does music still play a role in your life? For sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, I don't play uh, now uh, as much. Anyway, I still practice. What was your instrument? Online. I play an instrument called oud, which mm -hmm. is the ancestor of the lute. The the so it's a, a Middle Eastern instrument, um, and uh, yet yeah, I don't play it anymore as much as I'd like to, but I still practice. But music plays a very big, uh, big, big part of my life. And it, it, it always has this, again, this idea of, uh, this idea of, of, of habits, this idea of discipline, of practicing, of, mm -hmm. you know, you can't play a Chopin without having, you know, almost bled your fingers on 10,000 hours <laughs> you know exactly like coming back to yeah. to Malcolm Gladwell's yeah, uh, yeah 10,000 hours exactly and, and and I love that and I think that that's true in, in sort of everything you do so I always come back to this example nice thanks for having us thanks for sharing all these ideas thank you for coming this has been uh, this has been great thanks It's all about the journey.